welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Vinny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Perry Brubaker of Brubaker Prevention and Health Promotion and the Academy of Prevention and Health Promotion Therapies. Perry is a certified prevention and health promotion therapist. She traditionally trained as a physical therapist, having completed her Master of Physical Therapy in 2001, and then later she went on to receive her Doctor of Physical Therapy in 2010. In her 20 years of practice, she has worked in various orthopedic physical therapy settings to include sports medicine and work injury management, and has published on this topic in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. She also maintains a small lifestyle management practice in the Peachtree, Georgia area. Perry's experience in occupational health, work injury management, disease management, and individual lifestyle management has taught her that sustainable employee health and productivity requires merging these systems. As a result, Perry operates at the intersection of safety injury and health well-being for companies and organizations. Perry has become a very important person in my life, and I am so excited for you to get to meet her today and to learn how her background can apply so beautifully into the world of older adult care. Hi, Perry. Welcome to the show. Hi. So I'm so excited to talk with you today and to introduce you to some other people. So I met you last summer through the PT Health Study, and you quickly became a mentor for me in the field of wearable devices and health technology, but also more broadly in wellness and prevention and population health. Um, So I'm so appreciative that you're here today. Thank you, Caroline. That is lovely. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So can you give us a little bit of an introduction to the work that you do? Currently, or just like my career in general and how I got to this space? Um, You can give the the career in general. Okay. Okay. I am, you know, I'm trained as a physical therapist. Um, I really went down the road of orthopedic physical therapy, like so much so even in like school and training that like I would have been not safe with pediatrics or neuro (laughs) or anything like that. When I finished school a million years ago, it feels like I went straight into the work injury management area. So the idea of working in populations was always kind of like my foundation or my entry into physical therapy. 
And I definitely came away from that and did some like sports medicine for a little while and then just stayed in the general orthopedic and then really landed in neck and back physical therapy, that area, when I was doing my individual practice. And I would say that as I approached my 40s, probably somewhere mid to late 30s, I realize it's not just musculoskeletal anymore, uh, that musculoskeletal is actually kind of the blaring sign that says something else is going on in your life. And that's when I started to look for um, more of a holistic was in my mind at the time approach, but it was really um, a prevention and health promotion approach where you're looking at kind of just how a person lives, works and plays and in order to treat any musculoskeletal issue. From there, it just grew because the idea of how you live, work, and play, I understood the work component very, very well because I had started in um, work injury management. And I was like, oh, like it's just environmental, like where you are and then also where you are in your life. And, um, and so now my, all of health is through the lens of the, the season of life a person is in and the primary environment that they're in at that season of life. So that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah, there's so much wisdom in that and practicality as well <laughs> that, you know, it's probably looking through that lens, it's no wonder you know, a knee arthritis is flaring up. If you start to look at what phase of life someone's in, what their work environment is like, whether that's paid work or unpaid work. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. It's all interconnected. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) I know as much as we want to separate things out and focus on specifics and targeted approaches without knowing the broader context, it's really hard to get lasting results. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so how did you get involved with the PT health study? Sure. So, um, The organization that you and I are involved in that people on your podcast may not know is called the Academy of Prevention Health Promotion Therapies. And um, gosh, maybe several years before, maybe two years before the PT Health Study launched, um, the company that developed the technology behind it um, Proactivity is the name of that company. Um, they had offered clinicians who were experimenting in prevention, health promotion, and kind of doing um, their practice differently, like more of that holistic approach I told you I'd come to terms with. Um, and they offered a way for you to utilize their technology with your patient population. So I started doing that really on myself 
um, my husband and a couple of friends so that I could kind of experiment with how to use wearable data in practice. Cause I, again, I'm looking for a way to help people just manage and support them in the environment that they're in at, at the current season of their life. Right. And so, and I felt like wearable data could do it. So, um, so I began, I learned the system really well. It was something that was interesting to me and I learned the system really well. And I started um, having conversations with proactivity about um, through my clinical lens, what I felt like um, its potential was. And um, they were using it in populations that they interacted with. And then they really wanted to um, make upgrade the system, make the whole approach um, standard and see what, what they knew with it. And so they came to the APHPT, the Academy of Prevention Health Promotion Therapies that I'm involved in and said, would you like to run a project with us? And Perry, we would like for you to be involved because you've been using the system and you understand the system. And, and this is kind of what we want to create. And so I said, yeah. I thought it was a great, exciting idea. I didn't really know what I was doing or getting into. And so that's really how I got involved. It was just me saying yes, because I understood a little bit about the system. Okay. And can you explain what a wearable device is for someone who doesn't know and why a system like this might be needed to make sense of the information? Sure. And I'll speak, if I think about like your population of people that you're reaching on this podcast, I'll, I'll give the example through that lens. So a wearable device is also known as a smartwatch. And if they, if you think about how we all had like cell phones that were dumb, not smart, you know, they didn't have all the computer screens and stuff on it. They still had buttons, but it was like new technology. Okay. So a a wearable device or a smart watch is basically that. So it's taken like a regular watch and it's put a computer in it. So it makes it smart. Um, And so that infra is able to collect all sorts of information um, about your own physiology, what your heart rate is, um, a measure of stress it collects. Um, it also um, can help you understand your sleep a little bit more. And um, it can take uh, a lot of people understand oxygen saturation now because we've lived through COVID and and people know how important that can be for COVID. So it can even take things like that in addition to all the exercise metrics that most people know about with smart devices and wearable devices like step counts and those kind of things. And what the system does, as far as what we learned in PT health studies, it takes all that information and 
manages it in a way that makes it meaningful for someone. And so it's one thing to have all these metrics on your smartwatch. It's kind of the way I feel about like the phone. Like you can have all these apps on your phone to like take notes or do reminders or all this other kind of stuff. But if it's not meaningful, you're not going to use it. And so what the system does is it pulls all the information that is collected from that smartwatch and makes it meaningful for someone like a health professional that can interpret the information if needed to the person wearing the watch. And so when I think about the people listening to this podcast, I I really think about the way that it helped me when I was managing the care of my mom at the beginning of the year. Now, my mom was not on the device. Um, I wish she would have been because she got to a point in her illness where she couldn't speak and advocate for herself. So it was very difficult for me to figure out if she was in pain or if a medication was affecting her too poorly. Like it was just, there was no communication that I had with my mom because the dementia had taken it away from us. And so, um, but for me, what it did is it allowed me to not go too hard in my own life, because I had to make sure that I was rested and prepared for the decisions that I needed to make on behalf of my mother. So it was, I would say it was life-saving for both of us in the sense that it was, it, it allowed me to make better decisions of what I, during the time, because it was very stressful time, clear, calm, and agile decisions is the only way I know how to describe it. And when you are rested, when you're eating well, and your data looks good, and you can look at your data and have someone say, no, you're doing good, Perry, even though this is incredibly stressful time, you're doing good. Then my decisions for my mother on her behalf, it was a clear, calm, and agile decision. And so I was so thankful for it. So very thankful for it. That is such a meaningful application of a smartwatch and probably one that very few people have thought of before. But I think it's very tempting as caregivers to think, well, I'm not as bad off as the person I'm caring for. So I don't deserve, need, whatever to sleep or take care of myself and need to keep giving all the time. But what you were able to recognize is that you were not going to be doing the right things for your mother if you kept going without a break. Oh, for sure. I would have had a rabid brain and it would have showed up in in my data. And it did at times. And what it allowed me to do is all on a family member at that time. So if it got to where, you know, I I was trending in a direction, because sleep is a big deal when someone in your life is not doing well, or you're in hospice or something like, and you're 
trying to navigate that season, right? Um, And so there were times where I would have like three days in a row where I just physically could not, even though I was preparing and to the best of my ability myself for successful sleep, because your mind is just going like this, I would wake up really not rested. And so during those times, I was able to say, do I have to make this decision today? Like, do I, do I have to make this decision today? Because this decision is not the best decision for me to make today because I'm not rested. And then if it was a decision I had to make, then I could bring in family members who could help me have that clear, calm, and agile mind so that I could make the best decision. But it was my ability to say, yeah, like I'm not sure if this is the best decision because I'm not rested. So for me, it was, like I said, it just made me feel better about whether this is true or not, Carolyn, I don't know. It just made me feel better about the approach that I was making for my mother in a very, very stressful time. Yeah. And it sounds very strategic and a way that you could learn to trust yourself and your decisions when you were feeling good and not maybe not second guess them so much and then avoid some of the bad decisions by calling in other people when you needed more support. Yeah, you know, you. I never really thought of it that way, but I think you explained it really well. First of all, when you are, when a parent is dying or someone in your family is dying, and you're doing the hospice process and you're making all those decisions, um, there, there, there's just decisions. There's no good decisions. There's no bad decisions. They're just decisions. Um, and so, what? It allowed me to do what the data allowed me to do is have that strategy. So it lessened my guilt later on after my mom passed. So I don't have any of the, well, I mean, we all have guilt after someone in your life passes when you've been making decisions, but I don't have that should have, should I have done this? What if I would have done this? And, and what I have is I made the best decisions with the information I had in the moment that I had. And if I couldn't make the decision, I reached out to the people to help me make that decision. And so those are the things that I get to tell myself. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that, for sure. Yeah. What a a gift and a relief because there's so many instances where things don't play out that way and people live with a lot of burden and guilt yeah yeah they do um and I'm not saying like the if you put a watch on that's what it's gonna do you know I think I understand my physiology so well that when I got to that point in my season of life, I was like, holy cow, like I cannot be making this decision today or I cannot drink a beer tonight. That was probably a lot because I like, I like to drink beer. Like I like a nice hoppy beer. And um, because I know what beer does to my physiology and sleep, 
like even having one beer during that time of my life that would have robbed me of more quality sleep. And I still would have had to wake up the next morning and be hit with a lot of decisions for my mom's care. It just, the beer all of a sudden became not worth it to me. And then if I wanted to drink a beer, like I needed to let my brother know, okay, you're going to, tomorrow it's your shift. You know, I would like to drink a beer and just kind of relax a little bit and you're going to have to make the decisions tomorrow. So yeah, it just created some sort of like strategy, I guess, but I never thought of it that way. So yeah. Yeah. So let's say someone is brand new to this world of wearing a smartwatch and trying to understand their own physiology beyond, you know, an annual physical. Where where should they begin? How could a healthcare provider help in this? What are your thoughts around that? I think two things. One is they have to pick a device that speaks to them. There's so many devices out there. So it doesn't, you don't even have to go to a, a healthcare professional. You can just go to, like, if I think a, about if it's an older adult, they can go to their adult child and say, you know, like, help me understand this. Now I'm going to speak to the adult children. You need to be patient. Like you need to be patient uh, because there are, things that like the generations learn differently. You know, I remember my aunt, my mom's sister who lives near me. Um, she thought going to start to log off was the stupidest thing ever. You know what I mean? I guess yeah. it and when did I use Apple products now, but you know, you go over to start, you do start. And then the first thing says like log off or whatever. She's like, why do you go to start to end Perry? And I was just like, <laughs> she has a point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why we're doing that. <laughs> So like, those are the things that you have to be patient about. So we go to somebody that's savvy and then try to figure out like what is going to make this most sense to you. And what is it that, you know, I think tracking sleep is very, very important. I think like of the stuff you're going to track, I think tracking sleep is the most meaningful. So when you go look at the devices can you sleep in it? Is that something that you would want to sleep in? How long does it go before you have to charge it again? And then price point may also be an issue. And I think it's like shopping for any other thing in your life. Um, like even a washing machine. Like I recently had to buy a new washing. I thought this is a disaster. There's too much to choose from. And so if you can have one aspect that maybe you want to track that you think is important, maybe it's sleep, maybe it's your steps, just start there with some sort of entry level and see if you like the information. Because in technology, there's always a better, a greater and better model that you can upgrade to. So I would first try to figure out, does having that data for you bring any meaning to you? 
And then start with somebody that's already doing it so that they can help you understand it. And then if there's no one doing it, there are some programs in place where you can get connected to someone like yourself, Caroline, that can help them walk you through it. And and that's a lovely, lovely service to have as well. I love how you framed it of, you know, using your resources of the people around you, tapping into their knowledge. And then I love that you noted about sleep, what you're actually willing to sleep in, because that's a barrier I'm finding with a lot of people is they don't like to wear anything on their wrist to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, So it may be Some of them are now in ring form. So it may be a ring, maybe more useful for someone who can't stand to have a watch on while in bed. It's true. Like I've heard, like you have to really think through what do you want? What do you want to wear? You know, I know you know this. I'm working on a maternal health project and we, you know, we were just trying to figure out, do you like wearing the watch or whatever? Would you prefer a ring? And one woman said to me, is the ring adjustable? Because I'm just getting bigger and bigger as the months go by. And I thought, you know what? I would have never thought that. It's been a long time since I've been pregnant and my hands have been swollen. You know what I mean? I probably wouldn't want a ring either. That's probably not a desirable um, wearable device for um, a woman who's pregnant. And so I just, those are the kind of things that you have to think through, but I always say, start with the baseline and just see if you like it. And then, cause you can always add what you don't want to do is spend like $500 on something and hate it and never really track your health when, when it could have been meaningful for you, but you're just entry point to it turned you off, you know? Yeah. Such good advice. And then let's say someone has maybe has had a device they've used off and on. They've got some familiarity with it. What would be the next step to better understanding what's going on with their bodies? I think the number one thing is what is meaningful for them in their health? Because you're not going to wear it and use it and look at it if it doesn't bring you meaning. So um, are you experiencing a time in your life where there's something about your health that you want to change? My argument is there's something in the wearable data, I bet, that could help you measure that. So a lot of people say, you know, I want to lose weight. Let's just use that example. It's a, um, it's just the thing I hear a lot, a lot of times I want to lose weight. And so, yes, the, there's a way to measure if you're losing weight without buying a smart device and it's just a good old bathroom scale, but that bathroom scale doesn't have any meaning. As a matter of fact, it's actually shaming to them a lot of times, you know, every time there's just this, this stress before you step on the scale, if you're trying to lose weight. And so the nice thing about wearable data is that if someone is able to explain to you that weight stays on with a certain 
change in your physiology. Like if you're never really able to rest your mind and body, then you may be as a defense holding on to your weight, your body, your physiology is doing that. And then someone can help you maybe look at sleep and say, okay, the reason you're probably not able to lose the weight that you would like to lose is because your quality sleep is not where we need for it to be. And no one would take sleep and attach it to weight, right? But there could be a relationship. So what I would say is if there's something in their health that they feel like they can't ever solve, weight is a huge one for a lot of people. They just, they feel like they cannot solve their weight issue. What I would say is try a different approach, use wearable data and, and see what's going on in your physiology. Forget about the weight, change your physiology. And I guarantee you, well, I can't say guarantee on a podcast because we're being recorded. I bet if I was a betting woman, that weight will drop off as a side effect. That's what I would say. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's what no, I, I love that answer. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think for my own journey using it and watching the data with other people, you know, our health is so variable and it can feel so random at times. And, you know, a healthy food for one person is not a healthy food for another person. Same with sleep hours, you know, what exercise is right for you probably isn't what's right for me. And so to have a tool to get some insight into what does my body need today can be so useful. You bring up a term, this has come up a lot this month for me in a couple of conversations, but it really is health equity. So the problem with health in America across the board is that we're everybody's wearing the same type of shoe and the same size of shoe. So we have on some feet are too small for it. Some feet are too big for that shoe, but we've designed a shoe, which is this, what your cholesterol needs to be. This is what your BMI needs to be. This is how much exercise you need to do. This is the food that you need to eat. It's all this nice, like one shoe. And to your point, some foods for some people work and food that same food, that same shoe doesn't work for someone else. And so what it does is it allows you the grace of living within your own physiology and not worrying about what everybody else's physiology. Now, the approach is going to be standard. We all need to eat well. We all need to move a little bit. We all need to sleep well. We all need to have some stress coping mechanisms and we need some good social connections. That's pretty standard, but it's very customized to the physiology of the person. And and what we're doing in health and healthcare, quite frankly, is we're giving everybody the same size shoe. 
And like, it's, it's terrible and it doesn't fit every, it fits some people and you get mad at them. You're like, why are they so healthy? It's because the shoe fits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. yeah. yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. I think the number one food for me that causes me the most symptoms and harm is oats an oatmeal, Mm -hmm. which is what, you know, is often recommended as the healthiest breakfast out there. Yes. 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 And I will say for women that happens a lot, it all of a sudden becomes like inflammatory for them. Yeah. And so, yes, absolutely. We're told eat oats so that you won't have a heart attack, you know? Yeah. Meanwhile, you're inflaming your system, which causes a heart attack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Once I got, um, you know, aware of it, I had an oatmeal raisin cookie and gained two pounds that day just from the <laughs> one cookie. And then, you know, it's like, I never would have thought I was gaining weight from oats, but there it was. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have lived that season. Yes. <laughs> Just to let you know. All right, so I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no. You get to come back to it a little bit, but yes, I have lived that season. Okay, good to know. <laughs> For sure. Well, great. Um, do you have any visions, Perry, of where this wearable health data and healthcare in general are going? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, oh, well, I have a sense. I have a, I have a sense. I, I think what COVID did for those of us, for those people outside of healthcare, like you and I know about this and people internal to healthcare know about this, but what um, COVID did is really unveiled that our healthcare system is really good at keeping people mildly infirmed. So the so if you think about high blood pressure, okay, you have high blood pressure, we're going to keep it at this level and it's not we're going to help you not let it get worse. And they're very good at managing that. So it becomes like you're going into the doctor, you feel like you're getting great care because they're managing this disease process for you and um, and you quote feel like you're healthy. Well, when the system was pushed to the level of having to deal with abrupt, acute sickness, we weren't ready for that because we had been managing disease, the entire time. And so I think what people realized is that, and the fact that we couldn't enter into the system to manage our disease um, because of COVID, even the people who wanted better disease management started looking to technology. The telehealth visit was the first thing that came out of COVID, right? And so then people with, let's just keep with high blood pressure, who had been successfully managing their high blood pressure by going into the doctor 
and just having a 15 minute chat, if not eight minutes, and then getting a new prescription and then leaving, they realize I can get, I can manage my disease, therefore maintain my current level of health really well without ever going in. And so that kind of tickled the idea of what other things can we do that for? And I think that is what health technology is trying to figure out. So now I think there's an area of how can we provide the best remote care that we can? Like, what is the standard for remote care? I'm not sure that we have a standard yet because we just really started it, right? I think wearables fit into there somewhere and it they will become more and more the idea of wearing something on your wrist that helps you yourself understand your current health, whether you are managing a disease or trying to stay away from a disease. And then being able to have a conversation remotely with someone that understands that um, is my vision of health. New health is my vision of new health. And I think the system, the traditional system, can then continue to function in the area that it is most successful at, which is... um, Uh, the, The system is very successful with acute cardiac events. Like if you're going to have a heart attack, you can get to the hospital, get a stent put in and save yourself from, I mean, we have the advancements in, you know, cardiac care is, is a very, is successful, I think, for the healthcare system. If, if I really want to, pull the successes out that nobody really talks about in um, those of us that hate healthcare, you know, like, so I'm trying to dig Caroline, I'm going to try. (laughs) And then there are areas of cancer treatment, like breast cancer comes to mind um, that has had very successful advances in the traditional medical system, but there is a middle where people don't really need to enter in. And I think COVID helped them realize, God, I don't, I don't need to enter in unless I need to enter in. And so I think we're going to be pressure. There's going to be not necessarily pressure. There's going to be an opportunity for us to design what the standard of remote care looks like. And the people that can achieve that are going to be the ones that are successful is what I think. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense of, you know, having a device be kind of the real-time monitoring, which is most often more useful than getting, for example, a blood pressure check once or twice a year in an office, which is a foreign environment, you know, to where people live most of their lives. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then to, to build up those relationships remotely could be quite beneficial. Oh, if you want to even go back to the, absolutely. If you want to even go back to the original opening to this live, work and play, just because this happened to me last week is that it, to your point, like there are even smart blood pressure cuffs now. So uh, I think about the population that's listening to this podcast. If if blood pressure is of concern for them, whether it's too high or too low, sometimes in the older adult population, mm-hmm. the problem is it's too low because of a medication, right? Well, there are you there you can purchase a Bluetooth enabled blood pressure cuff that can collect it in an app on your phone so that you have a month's worth of data before you go into the doctor and they say, actually, it's a little high today. We probably need to increase your blood pressure medicine. No, because they're fainting at home and here's an (laughs) entire month of blood pressure readings. You know what I mean? So it just makes it put it empowers the patient a little bit more to understand their health. It also pauses the busy provider. I just feel like they're going to receive it a little bit better rather than what some I hear some patients say, if my doctor tells me to quit Googling one more time, you know what I mean? And so they're not, they're no longer Googling. There's like, hey, this is this well, this is what my physiology is doing. And then it, it can help create a conversation. And then the provider can pause and go, you know what? You're right. It's probably just because you don't live here and you're here. And I just want to make sure you like me. And it's just maybe the building you don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Did the front desk person piss you off? Like, what do you like me? I mean, (laughs) yeah. Imagine, think about that flip, you know what I mean? And so um, I think it's great. I think it's it's just wide open to increase um, communication between provider and patient and also just make the whole experience, even on the provider side, like if someone brought me a month of blood pressure readings, I would be like, holy cow, this is so helpful. Thank you so much. And then like be able to have a more meaningful conversation. And when I think about really older adults, the blood pressure being low is a big, big, big deal, you know, because then that contributes to falls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very meaningful too. And then that on top of some wearable data could be super meaningful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Perry. Any parting words of wisdom for us? Um, Considering your audience, I just having experienced the experience with my mom, I think there's a lot of opportunity in using technology to make the experience of aging more joyful for the caregiver as well as the person who is aging. And I think it can create a lot more agency for the older adult who sometimes is 
um, wrongly classified as not intelligent because they're slower in their responses. And I think it can create an incredible sense of agency. And I hope to see, while I'm not currently working in this area right now, I do hope to see some meaningful work in this area because this is a part of the lifespan that can be very stressful if you don't have decision support and physiological support as well. So yeah, I'm really excited for the opportunity that technology could bring to the listeners of your podcast. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Where can people find you if they would like to reach out to you? Oh gosh. Um, they let's say an email. It's um is probably great. I don't mind if someone calls me, <laughs> but um an email. Um, I'm pretty good about checking email. Like I'm not one of those people. So if they do want to reach out to me, they can email me. It's Perry, it's P-E-R-R-Y dot Brubaker. B-R-U-B-A-K-E-R at A-P-H-P-T dot org. And they are welcome to shoot me an email. And then if it sounds like I need to take a call with them, I'll totally take a call with them. I would love to communicate with anybody who finds this of interest or wants help navigating um, being connected to some wearable data with some decision support from a healthcare professional. I'm more than happy to do that for this um, area of the population. Thank you, Perry. That's very generous. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about monitoring your health data with me, please visit carolinemorris.com slash health insights. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.